Hey, this is Kevin Bossemeyer with UCI Conversations. My guest is UCI professor and head of costume design for the Claire Trevor School of the Arts, Holly Durbin. Holly has an extensive history, several decades long, in her work field, and her work has been seen at major theaters in Southern California, including South Coast Repertory, the Geffen Playhouse, Mark Taper Forum, as well as as far away as Seville, Spain, and Broadway. And her work has been seen on such major stars as Tom Hanks, Julia Roberts, Helen Hunt, and Kelsey Grammer, just name a few. Welcome, Holly. How are you? Welcome. Thank you very much. I'm fine. Fantastic. Happy to be here. Great. I see you had your first costume job at 19. What initially drew you to costume? Oh, it's a funny story, actually. I had no intention of going into costume design. Who knew that was a job? It's a secret profession. I was first drawn into theater in the most haphazard way. I was going to be a lawyer in high school. So I was preparing for pre-law, and that is indeed what I started to study in college. The day I switched from pre-law prep to an art history major was a very long dinner with my parents who (laughs) realized they were paying private school tuition for that. I wish I could have been a fly (laughs) on the wall. (laughs) I know, I know. They didn't actually understand what I did until I started teaching here at UCI, which is later in my career, because there hadn't been any showbiz folk in our family. It just wasn't done. You didn't run away with the circus. So they were very relieved when I got this job because finally at cocktail parties, they can say, my daughter, the professor. At a UC school. And Yes, at a, a research one school instead of, well, my daughter seems to do dresses. I don't know. So gotcha, yeah, gotcha. I fell into it by accident. Has your interest evolved over the years with costume? I started um, early at around 19, apprenticing for the Santa Fe Opera, among other things. Is that where you're from? uh, No, no. Uh, And I I got a summer job, an apprenticeship, and it's a very formal program. You have to study two or three seasons with them, and that's how you advance in the field. Back then, there weren't as many graduate programs, and so we had to do on-the-job training. If we were lucky enough to get in such a formal program, there's many in Europe. There were very few in the U.S. at that time. So I was very lucky at 19 to get into an apprentice program, and I spent many years working in opera. I fell in love with opera. But my interest really shifted over the years to Shakespeare, which is another specialty of mine, and new works. If you can do Shakespeare, you can do new plays. Because if you can do Shakespeare, you can figure out the narrative and the character arc on just about anything. So it's similar to acting. It is indeed. It's a really good foundation for everything else. Out of everything that you've done, can you think of one or two shows that have been particular favorites? Whether it was a challenge or just... Boy, the costumes were crazy. I don't know. Does anything come to mind? Uh, That answer is always the one I just worked on. It's always my favorite. And I just opened Reading Frankenstein here at UC Irvine. I don't actually design on campus very often because we have graduate students who do that. So this was an opportunity for me to design with my fellow faculty. So I'm still very much in love with that show because it's running. And when it closes, I will go through kind of a depression period when we lose 
that piece of art that we created, it closes. And then we have a void in our life until another project comes along. Do you know when that it is closing? It'll close this weekend. Oh, okay. So you can see it through Saturday. Is it a live show? or It is a live show. Okay. It, in, it incorporates quite a bit of technology, projections, and stage-of-the-art uh, soundscape. Uh, one of the actors spends some time in a telepresence room, isn't even in the theater at the time, on the stage at oh. the time, in a different room. So it's very interesting and cutting edge, and it's only an hour long. Is it an original play? It is an original play. Oh, okay. It was written by three professors here at UC Irvine. Oh, okay. Do you have an experience of the funniest thing that's ever happened to you or <laughs> to one of your costumes on stage? Oh, my Just goodness. putting it out there. Yes, <laughs> I have plenty of funny uh, things. Of course, uh, can I remember them? Yes, yes, right, no, right. Never, um, never. I, I can tell you one of the most inspiring moments, and then maybe it will help me remember. Yeah. So I did have a very inspiring moment on 9-11. I was in dress rehearsals for a show, and to tell you the truth, I can't even remember what the show was. It was a very light comedy. It was at the Old Globe Theater, so it was very... Is that in San Diego? Yes, in okay. San Diego, okay. so high production values. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were going to come that night to a preview, and 9-11 happened that day. We didn't even know if we should go on with the show on that day. With this lighthearted comedy that's so funny, I can't even remember what it is. Jack O'Brien, who was the artistic director at the time, came out before the curtain, stood before the curtain to the audience, which was considerably reduced, not everyone showed up, and said, I know you're all wondering if we should even be here tonight with today's news, particularly since this is a comedy. It is actually our duty to go out and enjoy and share art and laugh together, especially today. And so I've thought about that story whenever the going gets tough. I remember it's our duty to do this. It is part of being humanity and part of being a community. Mm, it's well said. Well, last night, I was watching Jeopardy. Were you watching it by chance? <laughs> I was not. Sadly. One of the questions was, what major movie director started out as a costume designer? Which I was, really? I, he did direct St. Elmo's Fire, Batman and Robin, Joel Schumacher. Do you, are you familiar with his work? I'm not. Well, I was going to say Zeffirelli, the opera director. Did, did he start He started out, out as a designer. Oh. And there's another director of musicals who started out as a designer. So it's actually not as uncommon as you would think. Yeah. I, we just get tired of the director getting in the way of our show sometimes. <laughs> and so we become directors ourselves. Gotcha, gotcha. You received your MFA at UCLA. I did. Can you distill what was the most important lesson you learned in getting your MFA? Yes, I, I, you know, I had a very difficult time choosing a graduate program because I was already a union designer. And that's what many graduates of MFA programs aspire to be. So imagine me returning after a partial career. But you felt like it was important. It was important to invest in myself. So I had come up through the ranks in the industry. I'd done every job. I'd assisted uh, starting when I was 19. So by the time I got to the design phase in my career... 
I hadn't really stopped to invest in a, a lot of the foundational skills. I had a lot of the practical skills. I had a, a bit of a wrestling match with myself. Should I give up my career and go back to school for three years? Mm. It's a very long time if you have a job, you know. Right. People tend to think you left the business if you're not available for three years. So I did work with UCLA. They were willing to work with me. I managed to graduate in about two years, and I, I could keep working. So they very graciously gave me time off to go to London to do a show on the West End while I was a grad student. Wow. So Was that your lesson from UCLA? You were investing in yourself. That was something that you yes. wanted to do. You have to invest in yourself as an artist so that you have some kind of voice or approach uh, before you can apply it to narratives. It's not like being a fine artist. I envy fine artists because they get to lock themselves in their studio and work on something till it's done. I know that's simplistic, but our work is uh, collaborative. I never get to do just my voice. I'm part of a creative team with the director, the other designers, the actors. And so it's a very unique way of working that not everyone can do. You get some things you wanted, you don't get other things you wanted. Mm -hmm. And so it can be frustrating and very rewarding because a team can also push you to do more than you would have thought of as well. Mm -hmm. So you have to have that solid foundation mm -hmm. so that you don't feel like you're capitulating mm -hmm. or losing your voice. Mm -hmm. You need a little bit more wisdom in order to do what we do. That was also well said. Oh, thank you. <laughs> How about the hardest thing you've learned in theater? Does that speak to you? It's like, oh yeah, there was you know this one production or... Or just something that you were blocked in mm -hmm. creatively? The, uh, the hardest by far are the people skills. Because it's all done by people. You know, the <laughs> set never gets pregnant. The set never goes on a bender. All the things that happen that just human people do affects what I do because I'm working directly with their bodies and their characters. So, you know, you're alone in a fitting room or you're in a group uh, in a fitting room with an actor who may or may not agree with what you've chosen they should wear. And how do you negotiate that? Actors are not capricious. They have reasons for feeling the way they do. And you two are creating that character together. So sometimes you just have to make it happen. But... The psychology is incredible, particularly when you've taken an actor's own clothes away. Mm. You've taken away their identity, mm. and you've put them in an identity that they are having to take on. Yeah. And so it, there's a lot of levels of psychology at work there. Interesting. So I thought that the director would have the most influence on working collaboratively and I really didn't consider the actors but mm -hmm. you've had instances where an actor would feel very strongly and I'm not getting yes. this costume with my character that's right and each production has its own power dynamics sometimes it's the producer that holds all the power after all the producer has hired everyone including the director 
and then the director hires the designers. Sometimes it's a star. The only reason you got the funding to do your project is because somebody signed on to be the the headliner. So they really hold many more cards. And uh, sometimes it's the director, and sometimes it ebbs and flows. And and when that's flowing, you just get out of the way, you know. So um, that's another thing we constantly have to surf, is who's really got their thumb on this production today and in the long run, whose vision will prevail. We are just taking a quick break from my interview with Holly Durbin, professor and head costume designer at UCI's Claire Trevor School of the Arts. You are listening to UCI Conversations, and I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer. Now back to the interview. In your long career, have you ever felt over your head? Is there... Constantly. <laughs> uh, wait, you are not growing. I am not growing. I've taken job after job where I've said, sure, I can do that. <laughs> and then I've gone home and thought, oh, my goodness, how am I going to do that? Yeah. But that's kind of part of the training. You know, people want to see if you're in, in an interview and they say, do you think you can do that? You know, if you say, I think so, that's one kind of message if you're right. if you're like, Yes, I can do that. Right. Then it's up to you to run home, get a support right. team, figure it out. Now, I would think that you've been doing this for over 30 years, that now this last 10 years would be, you've kind of done a lot. <laughs> but yeah. can you give us a, a specific example? Like, yeah, there was this thing, and I literally had never done that. Anything come to mind? I think several things when you're faced with a large logistics. So... Mm-hmm. If you've done many shows, that's great. But then the first time you step into something that, that's going to tour to many venues, then that's another leap of, oh my gosh, I never thought about how that got on the truck. Right. You know, that kind of thing. I think the most fish out of water I ever felt was when I did the opera in Seville. It was a flamenco opera. As you probably know, flamenco is really handed down in families. It's a treasured heritage art form. And so the very idea that some designer would be coming from California (laughs) to do this opera, first of all, right out of the gate, mystified all of the performers. The director and the producer were behind that decision because flamenco is somewhat star-driven in its own way. And so you go to see a particular flamenco artist, they tend to create their own costumes or have their own designer. So you can see four performers in a production and they will be dressed radically differently because that's their persona. This was an opera, Don Giovanni, and so they had the director and the producer wanted overarching artistic aesthetics to be what everyone had to strive for. So subsuming your stardom and be the character. So they wanted someone with experience in opera and working with celebrities, as I've done, to do that. And it it was very difficult all the way around. I had to learn their culture. They had to decide or not to decide to listen to me. And so that's probably one I'm proudest of surviving Mm -hmm. and doing some excellent work in it. Super. What's the secret to great costume design? Oh, I'm still looking for it. (laughs) 
I'm still looking for it. I'm writing a book now, and so I'm going to have to answer that question in the next in nine months. In your book, right? in your book. That's yes, <laughs> I have nine months to figure out the answer. I think there's no one answer, and that's what makes it hard. It has to be appropriate to that production. It has to enhance whatever aspect of that production is most important. Is it the character? Is it the celebrity? Is it... Uh, uh, some other thing like spectacle, you know, you would never design a tragedy or a drama the same as a cruise ship show. Mm-hmm. They're just very different goals. So being able to do different kinds of work is part of the stretching and growing as an artist. Mm-hmm. Do you have a costume designer hero? Mm. Uh, in many ways, I think almost everyone will mention Edith Head because I think she's more responsible for teaching the public what a costume designer is. Mm-hmm. Costume designers have labored silently behind the scenes for most of our existence. And she's the first that I think, along with the studio press, she just had such a large persona that she created for herself. And she worked on so many classic Hollywood films that the studio press really fell in with what she could bring as far as marketing and she was good at that. So because of her, people know what a costume designer is Mm. Uh, instead of just thinking, well, we might be that dressmaker in the corner, you know. Mm -hmm. I think another one is Anne Roth, who I did end up writing a book about, a monograph, Mm. and she is the one of the best kept secrets in America. She's done most of the films with Meryl Streep in them. And so Meryl Streep gets credit for being able to disappear into her character, and she is working with the costume designer Anne Roth to make that happen. Just back to Edith Head for a moment. Growing up, watching The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, I was always attracted to listening when the artists came on, when they described their process Mm -hmm. and Edith had I didn't know anything about costumes I would just want to listen like what you were saying yes she's a very compelling personality which many behind the scenes people are not that's why we're behind the scenes but she was she was a large personality how about what's coming up for you? I know you said we talked about your book that you're working mm-hmm. on. Do you yes. have any productions? I actually don't have any productions in the immediate um, coming up. I had I was working on one that uh, postponed, mm. so I'm I'm in limbo on that. But I do have a long-term relationship with the Los Angeles Shakespeare Center, mm. and so they often do two shows a year that they will invite me to design. And uh, one of them is called Simply Shakespeare, and that is their fundraiser. So every year, Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson invite their friends, whoever they are at the moment, to do a one-day reading of Shakespeare. So they're still reading, they're holding their script, but it is choreographed and blocked. They have a table read in the morning, they do blocking in the afternoon, and they perform that night. So we put on a show in one day. Wow. I, of course, have been frantically preparing for weeks to make that one day happen, along with all the other designers, right? Mm-hmm. That usually happens in the fall. It didn't happen this year. Mm. And then every summer or so, they tend to do 
a Shakespeare in the Park. And that is the, the last one I did was the Henry the Fourth parts one and two with Tom Hanks. Gotcha. You know, speaking of Tom Hanks, I saw a couple of promo pictures of him in his part, and he was a very rotund character. <laughs> and I was amazed at how you couldn't tell. He looked oh. like a, a big rotund guy. Were you conscious of that, or is that yes. a makeup thing, or how did no, you guys? That was pre- me. That how did was you create me. that? Well, thank you for saying that. My job was done. If you said that, and yeah. the the director Dan Sullivan, right as in our first meeting, he said to me, "That fat suit has to be amazing. Otherwise, we are going to be laughed at for decades for making an American icon look like a joke." <laughs> <laughs> so no pressure. But yeah, make exactly. It good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I—that's actually the finest costume I've ever done, and no one will ever see it because it was under another costume. Yeah. So I consulted. I had several people working on my team, but I consulted several people in Hollywood that specialize in those fat suits. Ours could not be built the way they build them for film. Because this is live action. You can't stop the camera to adjust anything. So I developed a list of parameters that I wanted done that were very unique. And we built that suit early so that he could start rehearsing in it right away. So he developed all of his movement with that awareness of the fat suit Mm -hmm. in it. Mm -hmm. It was also built so that we could put ice packs in it because it's outdoors in the summer. So, I didn't even think of that. And what I wanted to be special about that, I, I, often you'll see a the, theatrical fat suit is just a big cushion. It's like wearing a couch. Mm-hmm. I wanted this built in parts and pieces so that the rolls of fat could undulate over each other instead of when you sit down, you get a big crinkle or the whole suit rises at the shoulders. And it doesn't like look real. It won't look real. And it doesn't look real. Yeah. So this... The, it was exceedingly expensive to build that fat suit. And he, Tom loved it so much he bought it from the production. So he owns that fat suit. Wow. Uh, wow. Yeah. He loved it too. He loved it too. He's, he said he has another show coming up on Broadway that he might wear it in, but I don't know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the character that Tom Hanks played? So he played Falstaff, oh, okay. which is the you know much beloved Shakespearean character who represents chaos. Do you have a favorite Shakespeare play? It might be uh, As You Like It. That's also, I think, the one I may have done the most. Oh. I've done multiple productions of that and Much Ado as well. But As You Like It has such strong and witty characters in it. And the premise is very interesting. And one thing I love about working with Shakespeare Center of L.A. is normally the artistic director... Ben Donenberg says, if Shakespeare were alive today, he would be working in Los Angeles because he would want to work in the entertainment capital of the world, which then was London, now could be Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And so Ben Donenberg usually directs that all of the productions of Shakespeare must be set somewhere in California or Los Angeles in whatever time period, but it must reflect the people of California. And that has been such an exciting way to look at Shakespeare. So when you think about As You Like It, which is one of those Shakespeare plays where everyone starts out 
in the city or the castle, and then they all go to the woods and sort out their problems in a different environment. As a costume designer, I'm always interested when I see productions like that. Everyone's in their castle clothes or their city clothes. Then they're in these forest clothes. And I'm always thinking, did you stop at the Mall of Arden on the way? That's How do you just make that leap of logic that, oh, now we're in the woods, so we dress completely differently? Yeah. We don't do that. We yeah. take our clothes to the woods, right? Uh-huh. So I like sorting through those kind of logical storytelling mm. moments. And then as they change clothes, it's because something in their mind is changing. Not that they went shopping. Yeah, know. so maybe it could be a layered thing or... And slowly, it happens slowly. There are characters where it's directed, they must change clothes because the woman is now going to dress as a boy and no one will recognize her, right? Right. So right. that's an absolute change of clothes that must happen. I love to work on those kinds of plays that have world-building challenges mm. in them. Interesting. If you joined us late, you are listening to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer. My guest today is UCI professor and head costume designer, Holly Durbin. Her 30-year career has taken her to Europe, the Great White Way, and throughout Southern California. Now we get into how things have evolved over time. How about in terms of, you've been doing this for several decades, has it changed? Is it about the same as it was when you started? No, it's, it's changed drastically because of lack of funding compared to what used to be in, really? the, in richer times, 60s, 70s. Oh, really? uh, the 80s started to unravel a lot of what we do. So because of that, rehearsal periods have gotten shorter. No one wants to have actors on salary for a long period. So I've seen rehearsal periods shrink from six weeks to three. Wow. Which means the costumes have to be ready in half the time as well. And when you're talking about 100 period costumes or 50 period costumes, that is a devastating squish of our work. And yet the production values have gotten higher, not lower. So the stress and pressure has gotten much worse and as designers we have to we now can no longer just be the artist we have to figure out a lot of logistics how am I going to get this done in this amount of time Mm -hmm. and that has to be baked into a lot of what we do also the support teams have gone down no one wants to pay for a lot of custom building can't that just be rented you know Mm -hmm. and so yes it can be but that doesn't mean it's any less difficult to pull together. I sometimes tell directors, I don't know if you've ever been to Western Costume in Los Angeles. I actually have. Okay. So it's huge. Yeah. It's, you know, acres and acres, three rails high of costumes. And so when you're doing a show, you have a list and acres of warehouse Mm -hmm. and how many hours to pull your show. So you really have to know what you're going to do. So sometimes when a producer doesn't want to pay the money that it takes, you know, I describe to them, here's a picture of Western costume. Go find the right polo shirt. And they don't even know where to start. And so the expertise and the years and the professionalism that you have to have baked in in order to do that job is becoming more valuable. 
It's like uh, somebody told me a great story about going to a mechanic, your car. So that costs $200, right? Mm. And so the last time this person went to his mechanic, he, the mechanic just banged with a little hammer and fixed whatever it was and charged him $200. And so he asked, why is that $200? And he said, well, truly, you know, it was $10 for the part, but 190 to know where to hit it with the hammer. Right, right, right. So that's, that's gotcha. what we do, too. Gotcha. Do you have a favorite film? In terms of costume, or or play, I and that will change obviously. I because I get I do get swept away with the grandeur of Downton Abbey and the things that I call frockumentaries, you know, that are more about the clothes than anything else. I I, I love it. I'm not going to lie, but I I will then go in phases, and I have been lately in a film noir phase, looking at the costumes used in film noir. And what does that mean exactly, film noir? Um, you know, interestingly enough, when I tried to find the book on that, it doesn't exist. The book on film noir costume does not exist. Oh. Many, many books exist on what is film noir, right? Oh. And what, does that mean historical film? What does that mean? So film noir means, um, the at the time they were called crime dramas, and studios such as Warner Brothers and others specialized in them. Some of them could be very low-budget, they would grind them out, you know, in very short order okay. to distribute for Saturday night viewing. But it's what we would call detective stories and that kind of thing. So that's a very American art form, okay. film noir. Okay. And almost all of them were in black and white. The last few that were ever made were transitioning into the color period. But we tend to associate them, you know, with the black and white, dramatic lighting and that kind of thing. So the kinds of costume that was done to create crime drama characters, like Sam Spade and, and those detectives, there's a, a huge range of artistry in those costumes that no one has really addressed. So I'm debating whether I should write a book on it. haven't decided. Well, Holly, thank you so much for being with us today and exposing us to this amazing area that many of us are not aware of. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for having me. This has been fun.